This is Passing for Normal, conversations with authors, artists, activists, and awakeners about how they are seeding change in the world. I'm Sharon Weil, author of Donnie and Ursula Save the World, the funniest book about love, sex, and GMO seeds you'll ever read. But mostly, it's about everyday courage and what it takes to get there in your own personal, even unconventional way. So join us for fun and insightful discussion with some very inspirational people about how to turn purpose and passion into action, while at the same time, passing for normal. Welcome to Passing for Normal. Today, I'm honored to have as my guest, Beth Rosales, Senior Philanthropic Advisor. Beth has worked in philanthropy for more than 35 years in capacities ranging from grants manager to program officer to CEO for progressive foundations including Vanguard Public Foundation, Funding Exchange, Tide, Women's Foundation of California, and Marguerite Casey Foundation. Over the years, Beth has made a priority to move money towards strengthening social justice movements across the nation. Beth is most comfortable behind the scenes, yet she is widely known for her deep dedication and highly regarded for her wealth of experience, contacts, and understanding in the area of progressive social change philanthropy. She serves on the board of Asian Health Services, a community clinic that serves low-income families in Oakland, California. Beth comes from a large family and enjoys spending time with 20 nieces and nephews who are all Hapa, mixed Filipino-Americans, signaling the changing demographics in our country. Welcome, Beth. Thank you, Sharon. Good to be here, and thank you for the warm introduction. <laughs> I am so happy that you're speaking with us today. You are truly a wealth of knowledge when it comes to how people move money towards change. And so this, ch this show is all about change and how we affect change. And we know that one way that people try to affect change is giving money to causes and organizations that are doing important work in the world. In your opinion, why do people give money? You know, there's so many reasons why people give money, but uh, there's been studies done. I think the most recent one was in two 2007. <clears throat> and uh, commissioned by Google, actually. And what they've come up with is that um, in terms of giving, there's really a warm glow, people are starting to call it, in that uh, there's, a personal, there's a personal pleasure people feel in giving money and contributing to a cause. And as, as people, just ordinary people, people want to be connected and helpful and helping and also helps us stick together as a community. So generally people give because they've had a personal experience, like, for example, having a relative, close relative friend as a cancer survivor. Um, mm -hmm. People want to make a difference, and they want to do something about a problem or take a stance. And people are generally motivated. People say people are motivated by personal recognition and benefits, but that really has not been the case. And, and also... In many cultures, there's been a traditional, as you know, uh, tzedakah, for example, in the Jewish yes, sure. community. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so there have been traditions that uh, are actually not even rated as contributions. You know, contributions are generally acknowledged and measured through IRS filing. 
And since so many people do not itemize, these gifts that people, let's say people who make under 30000 uh, uh, they don't itemize. So even those gifts, if which are considered informal gifts, are not counted. But uh, there are billions. Last year, in 2013, contributions totaled in the U.S. $335 billion. $335 of households give uh, on an average of about 2900 a year. So that's very impressive. People who make less than 50000 and uh, generally have given up to 15%. Um, but uh, historically, records show that um, people who make all the way up to about 250000 stay at about 2% of their annual gross income. And when mm -hmm. the, uh, actually the higher the income, and then it starts pulling up. So records show that people who make 500000 Dollars a year and up, doing about four percent of their of their adjusted gross income. Uh huh. Uh huh. Which is about very very generous Americans. About average household twenty nine hundred a year. And you said that people tend to direct their giving towards um, towards a cause or an organization where they've had an experience, like as you said, a relative surviving cancer. Um, also, people tend to give uh, to their churches and synagogues, right, or to the community, the geographic community they live in, or like an interest group community, right? Right. Right. And, you know, 50% of giving goes to religious organizations. But, but I think mm -hmm. also in looking at the history of faith-based organizations in the country, if you look at certain social movements, whether it's the labor movement or the anti-slavery movement or um, even more civil, civil rights movement, movement. Yeah. 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 the churches, ch churches have really been major supporters of social change uh, occurrences in our country, um, mm -hmm. and, and, but of course, people are, are very much tied to their religious beliefs also. Right, so we see that, you know, uh, that the churches or these faith-based groups, you know, have very strong religious beliefs, and they have strong values, and they're, and they're putting their money where their values are, and many times the value is towards uh, social movement, towards social change, or towards caring for the sick or caring for the elderly. Um, as well as some other agendas like anti-abortion or, or you know, things that feel, um, you know, that people feel strongly about in one end of the spectrum or the other. Right, right. And, and I think that's why, you know, you have liberal people who are even unchurched, and then you have the, uh, you, you have the modern conservative movements like the Tea Party, and, and so people really, I think, align themselves with their values, and um, I would say historically, what I've seen with donors whom I've worked with and foundations, that you, you really, that people really start with their values, and, and their charitable gifts are affirmations or 
extensions of those values. Mm -hmm. So can people really affect change by giving money to organizations that are aligned with their values? Is this, I mean, does change occur this way? Well, you know, just as they say a small donation of $50 is just as as great as a $20,000 gift. And if you're in a nonprofit, for example, if you bundle, then you, you want to bundle gifts in that you actually want to have a larger base of support rather than one person who, say, stays with you for a year or two and goes and walks away. And so there goes your $20,000 gift. Uh, whereas if you had 50 or 100 people giving uh, yeah, 100 each, not all of them mm -hmm. go away at a certain time. So there is a strength, actually, in, in small gifts. And, and I think generally, if one is giving what is meaningful for them, um, I, I actually, that, that really conveys that level of support. Uh, so, for example, during the civil rights movement, uh, you remember the Freedom Summer, probably. Um, mm -hmm. Those were supported by individual gifts between fifty or hundred dollars by buses, um, uh, housing the young students who went down south to help register people, and um, um, so small gifts do make a difference. Obviously, foundations that give. $20,000 and up are, are very, very helpful, especially to grassroots organizations. Hmm? Yes, so, um, you know, so let's say I'm a person who, you know, has a humble amount of money to give, but I really want to be strategic about um, letting that money make a difference. So what are some of the ways that I might be strategic in, um, in identifying organizations, grassroots organizations, that might be able to make more of the 50 or $100 that I'm able to give? Well, to be really, um, <clears throat> how should I say it? Um, there, there, there is a joke that people say, uh, that, that people, uh, say often that, you know, you, you just get a dartboard and <laughs> you, can, you can support a group since there's, 1.5 million nonprofits in the country. <laughs> and that number again? How many? 1.5 million nonprofits wow. in the United States. And uh, in California alone, we have about 147,000 groups um, that are registered with the IRS and the, uh, with the uh, Secretary of State. But I think in terms of being strategic, you know, it, it, really depends on the individual and so I want to go uh, slightly differently as an individual and even as a funder I think there are some similar practices that um, that we can all employ one one which is is to to give general support meaning as a donor you don't dictate what the amount should be spent towards uh, for example, the foundation, there's a general thinking that general support grants, meaning you give the 20000 and then you allow the organization to make a decision. And also, you, you circumvent the, there's so much power relationship 
between the funder and the grantees. Mm-hmm. And as an individual, I'd say that one one that really helps strategically is you stay with that organization in that you don't just, you know, throw $50 here, $50 there, uh, let's say, especially during the holiday giving, called holiday card giving. So you have a list. And hopefully, one would stay a good 10 years in supporting uh, whatever cause and whatever, especially your scrappy <laughs> grassroots organizations mm-hmm. that really struggle, you know, because they don't have the budget to have a development person, to have those fancy brochures that reach us uh, by mail or yeah. by uh-huh. uh, online. And so, so strategically, I think, look into your values and what causes you really want to support and, and, and in many ways, you're giving really also... Uh, promotes the position that you that you hold about a cause. So, mm-hmm. so let me just give an example. Planned Parenthood, as you know, Planned Parenthood has been around for for quite some time now, but yeah. up and down, up and down, depending on the political uh, environment. And so, so Planned Parenthood has been able to to keep their funding, even though federal grants have been uh, removed from them by the current Congress, and it's been through individuals, and, and you know, I don't want to run all kinds of um, statistics for you, but um, in that $335 billion that's given every year in the country, 70% are given by individuals. And so I know that foundations and that the field that I'm in, uh, you know, we get a lot of credit for charitable giving, but only 15% of money given is given by foundations. So that's amazing. That's yeah. amazing. So really, individuals do make a big difference. A big difference. And so, so I, I think whether you give $50 or $50,000, it really, really does make a difference. And what you're saying is that one of the best strategies is to choose organizations that you that are aligned with your values and stay with them. Don't stay with them. them. And, 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 you know, 10 years ago, you, you couldn't, it, it, is so, it was so difficult to find information about, about organizations. 10 to 20 years ago, you know, you had to rely on foundations that had staff, if, if you're a large donor, and uh, generally people would say, well, I gave to at the office at United Way, and United yes. Way will make a decision. But, you know, Google organizations, they have websites, and often groups also put up their their financial um, information right up on the website. Yes. And we're encouraging, at least in the field, we're encouraging nonprofit foundations to be transparent financially. So mm-hmm. people yes. will understand. Mm-hmm. And the more information that's up, actually, the more helpful it is. For Absolutely, because then I can see, I can see what they're doing with their money, how effective they are, um, mm-hmm. how, they, how they're using the funds, and that would encourage me, or perhaps discourage me, but the idea is that it would encourage me to support them. And, and, and also there's, I think, that forthrightness in terms of providing information to donors not only about your programs, but your finances. And, and then there's another entity called 
GuideStar, GuideStar.org, and it's a free uh, service for anybody who wants to look at, at the uh, 990s of nonprofits. That's that's their uh, tax filing mm-hmm. number, and you can review a 990 and actually really look, look uh, in detail at people's finances. But I think general... People should stay uh, stay informed about the organization and the work, and not hop around. <laughs> yeah, no, don't hop around. Like you don't shop uh, at your grocery store and and, uh, and and choose numerous nonprofits. But but also, I think that uh, strategically, one could review every five years your personal history of giving, and I know that foundations do review their their strategies and their practices every five years to, to make sure that they're on top of the issues that really affect a larger percentage of the population. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you, in terms of social change and social justice, um, are there advantages to giving to grassroots organizations, smaller organizations that are perhaps younger startups, uh, than giving to larger, more established organizations? Are there advantages? Well, I, I, I think so. Um, if you look at all of the social movements that have, <clears throat> the, the large social movements, such as whether it's labor in the early 20s or the suffrage movement or the civil rights movement in the 50s and the student movement, the anti-war movement in, against Vietnam, uh, in the 60s and 70s, and now, most recently, the whole issue of lesbian and gays being able to marry. So, however contemporary the social change movement is, or in the early 1900s, you know, all movements, if you look at all of them, they required some kind of very organized community voices being heard either by politicians or or as they say social change is really a a large transformative transformation of a culture's values and social structures and social institutions mm-hmm. so there are all these large social change movements you know it's, it's not enough to have a policy walk in Washington, D.C. I'll give you an example. The environmental movement for the last 10 years have received, I call a whopping (laughs) $50 billion worth of contributions around climate change. And, And, you know, both funders and grantees say that they are not winning. They're not winning in terms of the policy and structural changes in the country. And that now there's a recognition that that uh, a, a mass movement of environmental uh, activism is important. And I think you, you've noticed that in that last March, last September, where 400,000 people yes. uh, you know, showed up in New York. And, and again, that was a very concerted effort to include those communities that have been most affected by climate change. So there was a real effort to bring people from New Orleans, 
people from New Jersey, people from the Midwest that have been uh, taken the brunt of floods and natural disasters. Mm -hmm. So, so all these movements are required. Some kind of mass organizing and grassroots groups, and and really, if you look at the history in the country, it required that level of body. So it's not enough to just fund organizations that do policy work or or that do advocacy work. It's really become important to to work with just the regular, ordinary people. And and I guess for me. That really is what social change is about. And that, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. if people can be awakened, they will rise up and, and do something about their condition. And so, um, so that's what I look for when, when I work for foundations. And uh, I've always encouraged that let's fund the small grassroots organizations that have a base in community. Yeah, so, you know, as progressives, you don't want to always be speaking to the choir. <laughs> and I think that's a bigger challenge, is to organize our neighbor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, to give you an example, right now I live in Fruitvale in Oakland, and it's, I would say it's a zero, ground zero of... Um, I don't want to say a crime, but, but nevertheless, it's a, it's a low-income community. But uh, And so I look across the street, and there are 17 kids in these um, um, one-bedroom apartments, five one-bedroom apartments. And, mm-hmm. and the question to the community organizers is that, you know, how, how do they organize a building like that so that uh, the families could rise up and say, you know, no, the drug dealers can't be around around our neighborhood when the kids walk to school and walk back from school. Yes. And so the challenge to the community organizers here is that, um, you know, of, of course, we all have connections with the mayor, but it's not until these families uh, see the situation that their kids are in, and now, now they're coming to neighborhood meetings. It's great. Yeah, frankly, half of them are undocumented people, and uh, now that people are, I think, have gone beyond their fears, they really are, are being able to be active on behalf of their children. So it's great to see that on a micro level. That's right across the street. Um, that is great. So. So what you're saying is that it's not only um, important, effective to give money, but it's also very important and effective to um, give your time, to put your body on the line, or um, to uh, for personal engagement, not just money. You know, here, here, here I am again with some statistics. Ninety-five percent of Americans volunteer. Ninety-five percent? Ninety-five percent. Just as ninety-five percent of households give. And so we really are, I think, a society that, that are, have been, and, and continue to be generous. Generous of our time, generous of money. And so for me that really <clears throat> keeps me going and, and makes me hopeful. Because I think as, 
as Americans, we really are concerned about our community. Yes. Now, where yes. we put our energies and where we put our money is a different question. <laughs> <laughs> right. Which brings me to the question, um, why have you dedicated your life to social change and to social change philanthropy? What is it in you that has woken up that wants to help others wake up to um, to be of help, to be of service? Good question. <clears throat> yeah, I haven't thought about that, uh, but um, because you just do it, you just automatically do it. <laughs> like, you're just compelled. You don't even have to think about why you're doing it. You're already doing it. Well, I, I, you know, I grew up. Uh, I came to this country when I was 13, um, barely able to speak English, and my parents, of course, uh, were, <clears throat> were were immigrants. But, you know, I grew up in a household where, below our house, and, and we happened to be very comfortable in Monterey Peninsula, and if you know Monterey, Carmel, it's a, it's a tourist area, and, and um, my parents, luckily, <clears throat> Yeah, I grew up somewhat middle class, and we always had a part of our house, and I would tell my mother, why do we have all of these aunties and uncles? <laughs> and they really not our true aunties and uncles. And so we, there was always some family who, who was new to the community, who was always living downstairs of our house, and and also the other compadres and comadres of our, of our parents also. There was always a newcomer, somehow. So I think I grew up in a f family tradition of being of service and and always being helpful and thinking of others beyond yourself. So I think I grew up in the family tradition as well as having grown up uh, in the 60s. And I came in the course. Sixty-five. Oh my God! You know, it was it was ripe, ripe. Uh, I was so ripe at thirteen, and living next door to a military base, I got really involved with the anti-war movement. Actually, the American Friends Service Committee was recruiting, you know, young kids to give out flyers. Uh -huh. uh -huh. So, I think, I think it's an environment that that uh, as a young kid. And, and obviously, having gotten awakened and looking at the uh, uh, inequities uh, in our country, and um, so I chose to be a, you know, I guess, social change activist funder rather than uh, working for a bank. And of course, my parents w were not happy. <laughs> <laughs> really, <laughs> but but, um, but but I think now they, they they would understand if they were around. Uh, why I made yes. that choice. And also there's just a large community of, of people like myself, I think, trying to mo promote uh, that level of engagement. Mm -hmm. Yes, well, you are, your, your dedication is incredible, and all of the people that you have touched and the dollars that you have helped move, um, into the hands of people who need it most, who are trying to enact um, great change in this world or small change in this world is really, is really phenomenal. And I know that um, you are retiring now yeah. from, <laughs> from this work and, uh, you know, savoring uh, 
what it is that you have done. But, um, and, I, and of course, remaining as active as you were before you were retired. Um, but what, you know, can you, can you tell people perhaps one place, I mean, you did tell us about, you know, how to look groups up on Google and how to, um, you know, look at GuideStar. And is there any other resource that you might want to leave people with? Because we're just about to close here, believe it or not. Our time is wrapping up. You know, for large donors, there's a, um, an organization called the National Committee for Responsible Philanthropy. And mm -hmm. they're, they're kind of the watchdog for philanthropy and, and uh, practices, good uh, and social justice practices. I think that's a great source. And uh, in every community, like in Northern California, there's an association called Northern California Grant Makers, and which is an association of funders, and, and likewise in Southern California, there's a Southern California grant makers. So in every community around the country, there's an association of foundations that uh, people can contact. And, and frankly, they are very happy uh, to give information. And mm -hmm. so I would say that uh, in closing, you do want to make some due diligence because as you know, for example, I get 10 calls from, from marketers to give. And... Um, you have to be really careful about telephone solicitations. And um, and so do your due diligence, do a little homework and um, and and frankly ask around because in our in our own circles, um, most likely another friend of ours or another colleague of ours supporting an organization that we're interested in. And so um, do ask. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Beth, I thank you so much for sharing your your wisdom, your information, uh, your compassion, and um, you are truly a blessing in this world. You are a blessing. I know you're blessing right now, but you are you are a blessing, and I'm so grateful that um, we had this time to talk. And, and thank you so much for being so creative to have this show, Sharon. And thanks for inviting me. It's good. Oh, absolutely. Okay, till next time. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks, Beth. Bye-bye. This has been Passing for Normal, conversations about seeding change in the world. To find out more about author Sharon Weil, go to PassingForNormal.com. That's Passing, numeral 4, Normal.com. Her novel, Donnie and Ursula Save the World, the funniest book about love, sex, and GMOs you'll ever read, is available in paperback, Kindle, and now as an audiobook wherever good books are sold and at DonnieAndUrsula.com. So go out and do something brave today. M. Earth and I thank you.